right, good morning, church. We have the awesome opportunity to open up God's Word together. So if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're new or if you've not been here in the last few weeks, we are in a series called Dumb Things, which is an interesting title. But what we are doing is we are looking at some dumb things that Christians say and actually believe. And there are a few phrases we've tossed around in the church for some time. Uh, Have you ever heard cleanliness is next to godliness? Or have you ever heard God helps those who help themselves? uh, Oh man. Yeah, so we've heard that before, right? And that sounds good, but there's a problem with those statements and statements like those what we're saying when we say those things and we say they're from God is we are saying that they are thus saith the Lord. That they are on par with Scripture and that's what Scripture teaches. But the problem with those and other statements like those is they're not in the Bible. So, with that being said, church, here at Downtown Church, our authority for truth is the Word of God. And we need to treat it with reverence. We need to carefully Uh, consider what it says. And if it's true, we need to hold on to it, right? But you know what? Sometimes taking in truth requires us dismantling things that we've heard before and really filtering it through the Word of God. So there's a dumb saying that we're going to look at today. Maybe you've heard this one before. Let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. So there's some other ways we say this in the culture as well. We say follow your heart. Live your truth. Do what makes you happy. And the problem with those ideas is the the center of authority in those statements is you. Do what makes you happy. Live your truth. And so we're going to consider from God's word this morning how we are to handle this thing called a conscience. As I was preparing, I was thinking about just God's love for us. And the Bible teaches us that God has clearly demonstrated his love by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to to make that way for us to come to him. But I think God also has demonstrated his love by giving us a book, giving us his word, And we can read it for our good and for his glory. So, with that being said, let's go to the word of God together. Here at Downtown Church, we stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. So, if you would stand at this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience... That we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, so this is the second of two letters that the Apostle Paul penned to the church at Corinth. Now, in the second letter, Paul spends a fair amount of time defending what you would call his apostleship. So Paul was at Corinth, 
He leaves Corinth. And while he's gone, something's happened. Some false teachers have crept into the church. And so what they're doing is they're trying to sway these believers and sway these people considering the gospel to not follow Paul's teachings. And so they were doing that in a few ways. They were uh, pointing out saying, hey, Peter, James, and John, those guys actually followed Jesus. So yeah, they're apostles. But Paul, nah, he didn't come to the faith until after Christ ascended. And so they were attacking that, they were attacking his character, and they were pointing out in that first letter that Paul sent where Paul said, hey, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. I'm going to come see y'all. And they pointed out that, hey, Paul hasn't been back like he said, and Paul explains that in the letter as well. But one of the ways that Paul really defended his apostleship was with an interesting statement that we just read. Look at verse 12 again. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. So what Paul boasted in was not his track record, was not his pedigree in the Christian faith. What he boasted in was the testimony of what he calls his conscience. In our time remaining today, what we're going to do, we're going to survey the scriptures and we're going to consider what is the conscience or your conscience, and how do we use that? What's the proper way to use our conscience? So let's first talk about what is a conscience. Number one, your conscience is to be a signal. Your conscience is to be a signal. And we're going to see this bear out in the scriptures here in just a moment. So every person that you see walking down the street, every person that you're friends with on Facebook, Every person that has ever been born into existence has what the Bible calls a conscience. Now, I want to clarify something. That is distinctly different than the Holy Spirit, okay? So the Holy Spirit, which is the person of God, comes to dwell in God's people. So when we believe the gospel of Jesus, we are sealed with that promised Holy Spirit, and that sets us apart. We are now God's people. But the Bible teaches us that every person that is made in the image of God has been born with this conscience. So, our English word for conscience, if you break it down, con meaning with, science meaning to know. And when you put that together, it's literally to know within yourself. And what's interesting about our conscience, church, is that what we know within ourselves, even just from a fundamental, as children, what we know within ourselves has been imprinted on us from God. Let me show you a couple of texts here. First, let's consider this. Your conscience is to be a signal, and it innately teaches you of God's existence. Check this out. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So whether we realize what's happening, even from a young age, there's there's this hunch inside of us. It's really more than a hunch. Is something that's been imprinted on us, in us, that there is a God. Uh, The Bible speaks of something called a childlike faith. 
that childlike faith is possible because it's not a big leap for kids. That's why I love when kids come to the faith in Jesus at such a young age because they're just taking that next natural step. They've already been imprinted with some biblical truths, and now they're taking that next step. But as we get older, our conscience can be swayed, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Uh, So there was a story of an atheist, and this atheist uh, was teaching his kids. And what he was teaching his kids was, there is no God. So that's what he was teaching his kids. And so one night around the dinner table, his six-year-old son looks at him and says, Daddy, do you think God knows we don't believe in him? It's that idea of the kid knows, right? It's innately within us. I like what the MacArthur Study Bible says about this. It says, God has sovereignly planted evidence of his existence in the very nature of man. We serve the one true almighty living God. He created us in his image. And he has placed within us that truth. That there is a God. He does exist. And our conscience signals to that. Our conscience also signals to God's law. It innately teaches you about God's law. Look at Romans chapter 2. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So Paul's writing to the church here, and he's saying, hey, look, look around you. Look at the Gentile communities. Look at the Gentile nations even. And what you'll see is that they've got some kind of a moral compass. There's something within even the Gentiles who don't, who don't read God's word, who don't consider God's word. Even in Gentile nations, there's a general sense of right and wrong. They punish murderers. They punish thieves. They, they have this general sense of right and wrong, which, hey, that still exists today, right? There's, there's that code within us that we should and we should not do certain things, and that's not by accident. That is imprinted on us by our Heavenly Father, by our Creator, If you think about what a conscience is, just in its its most basic form, it's really like a moral compass, okay? It points you in the right direction. And and to modernize that, it's kind of like a GPS, okay? So there was a 67-year-old Belgian woman, and she was going on a road trip. And she was going on this 90-mile road trip, okay? Not a long one. So she hops in the car and taps a few things on her GPS, and off she goes, and she's turn by turn wherever the GPS takes her. Many, many hours later, this lady realized, oh no, something's wrong. She starts seeing road signs in another language. She realizes she's in Croatia, and her 90-mile trip has turned into an 800-mile trip. So here's the thing. GPS units can be very useful, right? But if you punch the wrong thing, If you feed it the wrong information, it can get you in a mess in a hurry. And our conscience is actually pretty similar. So we do have some basic innate truths 
within us. We do have some basic understandings within us, within our conscience. But you know what? Our conscience can be swayed. It can be corrupted even. Which brings us to our second point. Your conscience can be seared. Check out this uh, passage from Titus 1 where Paul talks about this. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And so what Paul teaches Titus here, he teaches them saying, Hey, Titus, our minds and our consciences can be defiled. They can be corrupted. And so minds, what we think about, how we think about things, that can be corrupted. But he also points to our consciences. That moral compass within us, it can be corrupted. It can get messed up. Paul told Timothy something very similar. Check this out. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are what? Seared. Consciences are seared. So he tells Titus, he says, Titus, hey, our, our, our consciences can be defiled or corrupted. And then he tells Timothy, hey, our consciences can be seared. So the word seared there is the same word that they would have used back when, uh, and this still happens today, when you would brand an animal, like brand cattle. And so when Timothy would have read those words in that letter from Paul, his mentor, he would have immediately had that image that our consciences can be seared. And so I'm not a cattle rancher, but my understanding is when, when you brand an animal, what happens is obviously it marks the skin, it burns the skin, the skin heals, but underneath the skin it's changed forever. The nerve endings are gone. And so once that skin heals, if you touch that part of the skin, they don't feel there like they once did. And that's one thing with animals, and that's one thing with skin, but that's a whole other issue when you talk about your conscience being seared. When we become numb to the things of God, when we become numb and callous to sin, in the presence of sin in our lives, that's dangerous, church. It's quite dangerous. We've probably all heard the age-old question, how do you boil a frog? And I'm not sure what junior high boy figured this out first, but apparently the way you boil a frog is you bump the temperature up just a little at a time. You bump it up too fast, the frog hops right out. But if you slowly increase that temperature, the frog doesn't notice the subtle changes in temperature. And before long, you got frog legs for dinner. Anyone have frog legs? They're pretty good, actually. Don't knock them until you try it. Church, here's the thing. There, there's a warning here for us. Our consciences, that moral compass within us given by God, can be seared. It can be affected. We can become numb to sin. We can become numb to the things of God. Let me give you an example. So back when the pandemic first hit, we were all staying home quite a bit in those days. And I got on a movie kick. 
Okay, so I, we cut the cable a long time ago. So I was checking out Amazon and Netflix and all that. And I got to say, I'm pretty disappointed with Netflix in particular because they've got a lot of original content, but a lot of their stuff is what's rated TVMA, which means mature audiences, which means they can put whatever they want in there. So I was a little curious. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to check out a couple of these movies. So I started watching some of these movies. And a couple of things I noticed. One, I had to fast forward a lot through those movies. And two, the language. My goodness, it was just so bad. Here's what I noticed. When I first started watching those movies, every time I heard my God's name taken in vain, I was like, oh, oh. And every time I heard those F-bombs and cuss words, I was just like, oh, my goodness. It just hit me. But here's what I noticed. The more I watched those movies, the less sensitive I became to those things. The less sensitive I became to hearing my God's name taken in vain. The less sensitive I was to hearing all of these unwholesome words. And I noticed that, and I believe the Lord convicted me of that. So I had to pull away from that. I had to be like, no, I can't do that. And I think what was going on at that time was a searing of sorts. And you can lose that sensitivity to the things of God and to sin itself. I share that with you to say this can happen in a lot of ways. The church, uh, I'm sorry, the world is bumping up the temperature a little bit at a time, right? And it's easy to just go with the flow. And it's easy to let that creep in and sear our consciences, defile and corrupt our consciences. But we have to be intentional, church. We can't just go with the flow. We have to be in the world, but not of the world, right? So if you look at your conscience, if you look at your internal moral compass, and you see I'm not sensitive to sin... I'm not sensitive to the things of God. It doesn't hit me like it used to when I read God's word now. Your conscience might be in need of repair. Praise God, it can be repaired. Okay? So that leads us to this. Number three, your conscience can be strengthened. Your conscience can be strengthened. Check out this text from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. So it's believed that David, King David, was the author of this psalm. And if that's the case, what David is doing is he's boasting And he's saying, let me tell you what God's word has done for me. And just to rattle off a few things from this chapter, he says that he is now wiser than his enemies. He also says that he has more understanding than his teachers, which probably is a reference to the teachers of the world who are trained in philosophy, who are wise according to the world's standards. But through the word of God, Constantly coming into David's life, he was wiser than them. He had more understanding. He also said that he had more understanding than the elderly. And that's not a knock on elderly. What he's pointing out is even people that have had way more life experience than me, I'm 
wiser. I'm, I have more understanding than them, not because I'm better, but because of what God's word has done for me. Basically, what's, what happened in David's life was he allowed his conscience to be strengthened. He got that correct nudge. Rather than allowing his conscience to be seared and defiled and corrupted, he was intentional and submitted himself to the authority of God's word. So the New Testament describes somebody that lives like David lived. And it describes somebody that lives like that as having what's called a good conscience. Check this out in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Okay, notice what Peter says here. Leave that verse up for just a second. Peter doesn't say if. He doesn't say if you're slandered. He says when. In church, we can expect our Christian faith, our conviction in the gospel of Jesus to be slandered. And by the way, they will attack you personally as well if you hold this faith. And Peter's saying, hey, if you have a good conscience, it prepares you for that hostility. Look at again, uh, look at that verse again. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And, and so what Peter teaches us here is that when we have a good conscience, we're prepared for the hostility. And so when the slander, when those come against us because of our faith in Jesus, what comes out? Good behavior. When you get that right nudge in the right direction for that internal moral compass that God has given you, all of a sudden you're ready. To put that in other terms, what goes into you is what comes out when you get squeezed a little bit, right? So there was a documentary back in 2003 called Supersize Me. Anyone ever seen that before? It's pretty gross. Uh, so this guy named Morgan Spurlock, he eats nothing but McDonald's for 30 days, okay? Some of you are like, hmm, that sounds so bad. So for breakfast and lunch and dinner and snacks... He has everything on the menu at least once. And so for 30 days, he has nothing but McDonald's. And even though he walked three miles a day as he was doing this quote-unquote diet, a few things happened. He noticed after 30 days that he gained almost 25 pounds in 30 days. He also noticed that uh, he was getting blood, uh, blood work checks. And he noticed that his cholesterol levels were just through the roof. He noticed that he had mood swings. He just felt crummy. And there were other health issues that he had as well. But what really stood out about that documentary to me was in 30 days, his body went all out of whack. Okay? It messed even with his psyche. Okay? But it took him 14 months of a strict diet with exercise to get back to just where he started. So process that. For 30 days, his body gets all out of whack. For 14 months, over a year, he works to get it back to where he was before. I, I share that to say this. It might not be apples to apples, but I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Your conscience 
will be affected if you take in junk. If daily you're, you're watching filth, if daily you're listening to stuff that doesn't bring God glory, if daily you're hanging out with people that aren't going to point you to the Lord, and by the way, I'll, ta- I'll chase a rabbit real quick. I'm not saying don't have lost friends. We need to have those relationships with intentionality. That's another sermon for another day. But we need to be careful about the influences we allow into our life. Let's look at one last truth about our conscience. Number four, your conscience can be stainless. Your conscience can be stainless. So Paul made mention of the testimony of his conscience. And what's interesting about that is he boasts in his conscience. It sounds pretty arrogant. Why would Paul boast about his conscience or our conscience? Why would he boast about that internal moral compass that we all have? Well, let's clarify something. Paul was not a perfect man. Not by any stretch. In in fact, what he told the church was, I am the chief of sinners. Now, we might look at Paul's life and be like, yeah, but he was like an apostle. He traveled and preached. He was a missionary. He did so many things to the glory of God. But you know what Paul saw? What Paul owned? He looked at his own life. He's like, yeah, but I know my thoughts. They don't always bring God glory. I know my motives, they're off sometimes. I know that I've said some things that I regret. I know I've done some things I regret. And so when Paul looked at his own life, he, he saw his sin. And yet, he still says, I boast. I boast in the testimony of my conscience. There's one more concept that connects to this that I think is important for us to see. Paul had what you could call a clear conscience. Check out Acts 24, 16. This is as he's before the governor Felix. He said this, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Okay, a couple of things here. Paul had a clear conscience. Could Paul's conscience be swayed? Yes. Could it be negatively affected? Absolutely. But Paul says with boldness, but I have a clear conscience. But let me tell you something. I take pains to have a clear conscience. Here's the truth. Paul did not stumble into a clear conscience, and neither will you, and neither will I. We do not stumble and just wake up having a clear conscience. It it, it takes effort on our part. Maybe today... You feel like, I don't really have a clear conscience. I don't guess. If I could offer a couple of encouragements to you. Number one, make things right. Make things right. Check out 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins. Let me say that again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, one thing that we need to do is we need to confess to God. We need to own our sin. And by the way, this this verse is not just a on the day you get saved verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Done. I'm saved. Done. Next. 
No. This is actually something that's supposed to be repeated over and over and over again in the Christian life. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, Christians, how to pray, he said, pray like this. And in that prayer, Jesus taught us that we should pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Consistently, our prayer should sound like that. Forgive me of my debts. I know I was saved. I know the blood of Jesus pays for my sins. But God, today, forgive me for the way I talk to my wife. Forgive me for the things that I said at work. Forgive me for the thoughts that I just had about that. Forgive me of my many transgressions against you. Confess. I'd also encourage you, there's power in confessing your sin to your brothers or to your sisters. Confess your sins to one another. A seared conscience, it it keeps us numb. But a conscience that is confessing, it, it keeps us sensitive to the Lord. One other step you can take. You make things right. Secondly, you can believe the truth. If you want a clear conscience, you need to believe the truth. So I had a good friend years ago, and I was talking to him one time, and he was growing in the Lord, and he was becoming more aware of his sin. And I just remember one time I was talking to him, and he was just broken, absolutely broken. And he's weeping in this conversation. And in the middle of this conversation, he, he, he blurts out, I don't even know if I'm saved. I'm just not sure. And this was a guy who believed the Bible, who believed in Jesus, who believed the gospel. And he had surrendered his life to the Lord, but he he was just overcome with this burden in his life. And don't get me wrong, we should absolutely be burdened over sin. And you will will feel conviction over sin. But we would do well to keep the latter part of that verse in mind. In fact, let's read it one more time. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, if we will do this, if we will confess our sins, guess what? God is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We're about to partake in the Lord's Supper together. And in fact, I'm going to invite the band to come on up at this time. So the Lord's Supper is something that uh, the church has been instructed to do. And it's a way of honoring what Christ has done for us to remember his sacrifice on our behalf. And I'd like to share with you a passage of scripture along these lines. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Church, uh, the scriptures are clearly teaching us here that before we take the bread, before we take the wine or the juice... We need to examine ourselves. 
I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. I would encourage you to consider do you have a clear conscience? Maybe today as you hear the scriptures, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't really have a sensitivity to sin like I once did. When I read God's word, it doesn't hit me like it used to. If that's you, I would encourage you right now, whatever your sin, however small, however big, confess that to the Lord right now. your son Jesus to shed his spotless blood on our behalf to make payment for our sin Lord may you hear the confessions of your people this morning create in us a clean heart oh God and renew a right spirit within us may we be marked by repentance on this day and Lord as we move forward with the Lord's Supper you be honored.